Man, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Hey, why don't you grab your Bible, head to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit, discovering who He is, um, the role that He plays in our lives as believers. The Holy Spirit is God, and as God, He desires not only to know us, but for us to know Him and to be in fellowship with Him and in relationship with Him. And my heart's desire going through this series is that um, we would see the Holy Spirit as, as, the, as a person that we need every day, closely, personally, um, a part of our life. Believer, I would tell you this, we cannot afford as believers in Jesus to try and live this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. We simply can't afford to do that. Because victory over sin comes from the Spirit. Knowing the will of God comes from the Spirit. Having God's presence, that's the work of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit as disciples of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at today is the very first work of the Holy Spirit. Looking at the very first work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Our introduction to the Holy Spirit happens when we are born again. When we're born again, when we come to faith in Jesus, that is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that causes us to see our lives as spiritually broken. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us see we're not just a a good person with a few bad things. We're a dead person who needs to be made alive. You can't make yourself see that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? His first work is this. And when he opens our eyes and we see our sin, when he opens our eyes and helps us see our need for Jesus, and when we respond in faith, putting our faith in Christ, that's when we are made spiritually alive, right? Being made alive is what happens when we truly become a Christian. We're made alive. The Holy Spirit makes what was spiritually dead become spiritually alive, or to say it the way Jesus described it in John chapter 3, we are born again, born of the Spirit. Now, I know we use that phrase born again a lot, and it feels kind of, especially if, if you didn't grow up in church, you've not been around church, if you're a guest with us today and trying to figure out what Jesus is about, throwing out born again, you're like, that makes no sense. These people are nuts, right? Here's what that means for us. Um, It means that in the way we were born into this life, physically, we are born into a spiritual life. And it is is being born again. It is being made new. And I love that Jesus described it in John chapter 3 as being born again because that perfectly captures the radical transformation that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. Right? We're not made better. We're born again. We're made new. So that's what I want us to look at. And for some of you in this room, here's what I know, um, is that for some of you, this has never happened. It's never happened to you. You've never been born again. Um, And you're going to come to that realization this morning. Many of you are going to see this today. And uh, you're going to see the need to be born again. You're going to realize you've never been made new. You've been a religious person, maybe, and you've tried to be a good person but you've never been made new. And when you come to that realization today, 
I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit at work. That's the Holy Spirit calling you into a new life in Jesus Christ. For some of you, this has happened maybe recently. And you're going to come to the realization that, oh, that's when it happened. That's when I became new. I thought it was maybe when I was seven and I I walked the aisle. And maybe it was. I was nine when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. But for some of you, you're going to, as we go through the morning, you're you're actually going to look at your story and go, oh, wait a minute. That's when my life changed. That's when I was made new. And when you come to that realization, you're going to realize you need to be baptized. We need to be baptized on on the right side of our salvation. I want to be clear about what baptism is. Baptism does not save you, right? Baptism doesn't save, but it is what saved people do. And if you're sitting in the room this morning and you're going, man, these people talk about baptism all the time. Why? Here's why. Jesus did it. Jesus was baptized. Jesus demanded that we do it. And Jesus deserves it. If he has saved us from our sin and says, I want my people to do this as a public declaration, not only as a picture of what I've done, that they've died to themselves and become new, but then I want them to declare this publicly, me as their Lord. If he did it and he demands it, then he what? He deserves it. Amen? So if you come to that realization today, we want you to be baptized today. And you go, boy, Darby, that's coming in hot. I I wasn't ready for that. We have everything that you need to be obedient to God today. Everything. Here's what I can promise you. If the Holy Spirit tells you today's the day to be baptized, I'm going to send you home in the same clothes you got on right now. Right? I got everything you need, everything for you to be obedient to Jesus. So some of you are going to realize you need a new life. Some of you are going to realize you need to be baptized. For many of us in the room, today is going to be a day where you are going to begin to pray earnestly for someone that you know that needs to be born again. You're going you're gonna to need to pray earnestly that someone in your family, someone you love, someone in your, the Holy Spirit's going to put someone on your heart and you're going to be praying, God, cause them to be born again. All right? So Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to begin in verse 4 um, of Titus chapter 3. If you're there, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. Amen. Here's what God's Word says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. What does that mean? It means He caused us to be born again, right? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that When you see so that, that's a purpose clause. So why did the goodness of God appear? Why did he cause us to be born again? Why did he wash us and renew us with the Holy Spirit? So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He did all of that so that our hope would be in him and we would have an eternal hope in Christ and not in ourselves. So what Paul is talking about here, Paul wrote this letter to Titus. What Paul is talking about here is the new life of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And he uses words like saved and regenerated, renewed, justified, eternal life. What he's doing is he is showing us how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all work to bring us to the point of salvation. So there's two big ideas today that I want you to take hold of as we think about 
um, what it means to be born again. Here's the first one. We are born again by God's goodness, not our good works. Okay? We're born again by God's goodness, not our good works. Look again at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Well, what's he talking about? Right? What was the appearance of God's goodness and loving kindness? It was Jesus, right? When he's talking, this is a reference to Christ. Jesus coming to earth was the appearing of God's goodness. Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. He's the manifestation of God's um, love for us, his desire for us, his goodness toward us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? So when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, verse 5, he saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The Bible is addressing in these two verses one of the most common misconceptions when it comes to salvation and belonging to God and being born again. The Bible is addressing one of the most common misconceptions people have when it comes uh, to belonging to God. So many people, even people who claim to know Jesus, even people who come to church, still believe that somehow, somehow, their personal goodness and their good behavior is in some way tied to their salvation and their acceptance to God. Even, even lots of church people believe somehow my personal goodness and my good behavior is somehow tied to my salvation and my acceptance to God. And you know that because when you ask people about their salvation, when you ask people if they believe they're going to go to heaven, often you will get an answer from them that includes some part of their personal goodness. Some part of their, their own personal merit. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to ask some people in this room, do you believe you're going to go to heaven? You would say, yeah, man, I believe I'm going to go to heaven. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I, I try to be a good person. Yeah, I believe I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah, Matt, I believe, I believe I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, you know, over here. I mean, I see them, and if they're going, there's no way I'm not going. Matt, I believe I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a pretty religious guy. I mean, I'm here. I'm here right now. You know, I come to church. I try to pray. And what happens when somebody gives an answer like that is they give an answer that's not really an answer. Because when you answer the question of whether or not you're in a relationship with God, and that answer includes some part is in somehow based on your goodness, then there can be no confidence in the answer. Here's why. Because um, if being good is the way a person is born again, then how do you know when you've been good enough? If being good and doing good is the way a person it's born again, or a way a person gets a new life in Christ, and they're right with God, then how do you know when you've been good enough? How do you know when you've met the quota of goodness? How do you know when enough is enough? I mean, is there a scale, right? 
Some of you in this morning, some of you this morning, you believe that the end of this is going to be a weighing of good and bad deeds, and you are trying to make sure the good outweighs the bad. There is no scale at the end. I want everybody in the room to hear me say that. There is no scale at the end of this. There is a question at the end of this. What did you do with Jesus? There's no scale. Here's why. Because you don't have the ability within yourself to do enough good to weigh down that side of the scale and tip it in your favor. We don't have that ability. Is it, um, is it like a mortgage, though, maybe, where if I, put, if I deposit enough good, it, it pays down the bad, right? If I'm putting enough good in, is that how it works? And listen, when we take this approach that somehow my goodness is how I have a relationship with God, the only conclusion we can come to is there's no way for me to know if I have a relationship with God because there's no way for me to know if I am good enough. And some of you feel that this morning. Even as I'm saying that, you feel it in your heart. There's a part of you that goes, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I feel right now. I never feel confident about where I stand with God. I never feel confident about belonging to Him. I always question my salvation, and I try to do good because I want to feel like I belong to Him. And your good works are never going to get you there. Never will it get you. But here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is we're not saved by our good works. We're saved by God's goodness. His goodness, right? But when we take this pathway of, of my goodness, when I take the pathway of my good, goodness to have a relationship with God, what happens is I actually begin to minimize my true spiritual condition apart from Christ. Our true spiritual condition apart from Christ is not that we're bad and we need to be better. Our true spiritual condition apart from Christ is that we are dead and dead people can't do a thing for themselves. Right? Paul describes this in the verse before, uh, verse 4, where we started. Look at verse 3. Go up one verse. This is the, this is the description of our life before Christ. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I just want to tell everybody in the room something so that we're all on even ground. You're in there somewhere. You're in there somewhere. And if you're like, no, I'm not, then you're, the, you're under the led astray part. That's you. <laughs> we're in there somewhere, right? That's our condition. And that's not a description of a bad person needing improvement. That's a description of a dead person needing life, a completely broken person needing restoration. When the Bible shows us moments like that, it's not showing us our bad behavior. It's showing us our broken, dead nature. That's what it's showing us. It's showing us our broken disposition toward God. So that what we need is not new behavior, we need a new nature. 
Some of you feel so tired in trying to be right with God because you're just trying to do new behavior. And what we need is a new nature. Why? Because your life is not about self-improvement and your life is not a fixer-upper. It's not what it is. How many of you love fixer-upper shows? Right? How many of you spent money on your house believing what you saw on TV you could do at your house in 48 hours? Right? You didn't know they had a crew of 200 making that happen and an endless budget, right? But we take that approach sometimes to our, our life with God and trying to belong to God. We go, if I, can just, if I can just fix my life up. But that your, your life is not a fixer-upper. Our need is not to be better. Our need is to be born again. To be born of the Spirit. We have a new life. That's salvation. So at the risk of being very forward, I want to say this. Salvation is not praying a prayer and being baptized. Salvation is being born again. Salvation is being made new. Salvation is being brought to life. And every person in this room needs to ask yourself the question, have I been brought to life? Have I been made new? Matt, I grew up in church. Have you been brought to life? Has a dead heart started to beat in your chest? Jesus didn't come to give you a renovation of your life. He came to give you a resurrection. That's what Jesus came to do. Right? Have you been resurrected? Can I honestly say that's happened? I've been made new. Right? If your hope for heaven has anything to do with your goodness then that is no hope at all. And you're actually hopeless and you need Jesus today. And even right now, if you are becoming aware of that, I want you to hear me say everything in you is push back. Mm -mm. More church, more good stuff, more being a good person. That's all I need. Break a few bad habits, add a few good ones, and I'm good to go. That is as hopeless as anything. If you're wrestling this morning, it could very well be because the Holy Spirit is saying you've not actually been made into a new person. That's salvation, being made new. We have to put the full weight of our eternity on what God has done for us in Christ, not what we're trying to do for God in ourselves. We're saved by God's goodness, not our good works. That's the first thing I want you to grab. Here's the second thing. We are born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. By the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. Paul says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How did He do that? By the washing of regeneration and Renewal of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when it comes to salvation, what everyone in the room needs to feel, what every believer in the room needs to have their feet firmly planted on is this. The new birth 
being born again is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to see Jesus the way we should see him. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to put our faith in Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. You, if you're a believer, you did not get saved because you finally went, well, I've tried everything else. Might as well try Jesus and see it. Let's roll the dice. Maybe it'll work. That's not salvation. You didn't come to faith in Christ because finally you had enough verifiable proof of the things you wanted and mentally you went, okay, now it all, I got it. I've checked every. Coming to faith in Jesus is a thing that happens when our eyes are open to see Christ and to see the cross and to go, I got to have that. And if I don't have that, I have nothing. That's what happens. That's the work of the Spirit. How many of you, um, you caused your physical birth? That's the right answer. Not a single one of you. <laughs> I was just waiting to see if somebody go, yeah, I, I did some good stuff through that process. No, you didn't. Didn't do anything. All right. Told this story a few, uh, few years ago. I was born right here in Gilmer. Used to be a hospital here. I was born in it. Um, and so even though I, w- I grew up in Dangerfield, no booing, I was born in Gilmer. Go Bucks. All right. Um, I was there. I don't know. I mean, I was there. Had nothing to do with it. I mean, I assume some pretty cool stuff happened. I assume there was a parade of some sort, or uh, <laughs> assuming the mother gave my the the mayor gave my mother the keys to the city just as a huge congratulations for such a beautiful baby. I don't know, but I had nothing to do with it. Neither did you. You didn't cause your physical birth. You cannot cause your spiritual birth. You can't cause that to happen. Some of you are working so hard. You're trying to cause a thing that you can't cause. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can do for you. And even now as you're becoming aware of that, that's the Spirit doing it, calling you. Salvation can't be earned. It can't be worked for. It can't be bargained for. The new birth happens when God the Holy Spirit changes the disposition and the inclination of our heart so that what we refused to believe before, now we simply believe and embrace and love and and give our life to. How else do you explain someone rejecting Jesus or saying Jesus may be a way but he's not the only way. Jesus was good, but he wasn't. I think God's good, but I don't think God can. How do you explain somebody going from that to Jesus is the only way, and he is my Lord, and I've given him my heart, and I see the gospel as beautiful and glorious? How do you explain that? It's the work of the Spirit. We don't have the mental capacity to transition ourselves in those things. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. My point is this, the the faith that we have in Christ, the faith that justifies us before God, which by the way, nothing will justify you at the end of this before God other than faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing will do it. But the faith that justifies us before God is not something we generate 
through our own mental capacity. It is something that has been created in our hearts as a gift by the Holy Spirit. Has that faith that saves, have you put that in Jesus? We're born again by the work of the Spirit. Two very quick implications I want you to see of that. What does it mean when we're born again by the Spirit? Here's the first thing. It means we're given a new life. We've already touched on this, but I want to clarify it. When we're born again by the Holy Spirit, we're given a new life. So Paul says he saved us, not by works, but by his mercy. Caused us, he caused us to be born again by the washing of regeneration. Boy, that is an interesting phrase. The washing of regeneration. What is that? We're going to talk about that word regeneration here in just a minute. What is this washing of regeneration? This, this is the idea of, of a pouring out and a, and a cleansing and a removal of the old life. This, this washing clean from the old life. Um, growing up, my brother and I, we had the spiritual gift of being caked with mud, right? I'm not talking about a little bit dirty, right? You just, y'all know how sometimes your kids come in, you're like, oh, you smell like a wet dog. I'm talking about that, but also the visible evidence of caked mud, hair to toe, between the toes, armpits, under the eyes. If it could get on me, there it was, right? And I'm talking about that kind of muddy and gross that required a serious cleansing, a serious bath. Now, there were times when we were little and mom would say, all right, go get in the bath, get clean. And when I was responsible for cleaning myself, listen, some of that mud would come off, some of it. But there was always spots I didn't know about, spots I couldn't get to, right? By the way, trying to come to God through being a good person is like trying to wash mud off yourself you don't even know is on you. Can't do it. Can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. However, when I was really, really dirty, my mama didn't leave it up to me. She came in there and she scrubbed us clean. And there were times I was fairly confident she was doing it with a Brillo pad. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I didn't come out of there with less dirt. I came out of there with new skin. I came out of there, and I was shiny and I think maybe bleeding in some places. I was like, oh, my gosh, are these new fingernails, right? Because there was, she did it different than what I, this is. That's the cleansing Paul's talking about here. That's what he means by being washed by regeneration. It's this cleansing that comes from the blood of Christ from our sins, past, present, and future. You want to know one of the most beautiful things about the gospel is that the blood of Christ has dealt with my sin. The blood of Christ is dealing with my sin, and the blood of Christ will always deal with and cover and ultimately deal with my sin, past, present, and future. It's a washing of regeneration. That word regeneration is a very interesting Greek word. I'm going to try to say it correctly. It's palinginasia. Palinginasia is how you say it. Um, I always remind you when I say a word like that, please don't be impressed. You have no idea how much I practice to say those things correctly. <laughs> palinginasia. It means regenerate, regeneration. 
What it literally means is re-Genesis. That's what it means. So Genesis, beginning, first, birth, new. Palinginasia means re-Genesis. Re-new, right? New birth, new life, reborn. And that word is only used twice in the entire Bible. Only twice. Here in Titus chapter 3, and then Jesus uses it in Matthew 19, verse 28. In Matthew 19, there's this moment. Jesus has just had this conversation with the rich young ruler who wouldn't give up everything to follow him. And he looks at his disciples. You remember what he says? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. And the disciples get real scared. And they go, oh my gosh, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. You can't save yourself, not a single one of you. By the way, apart from Christ, we're all camels trying to get through the eye of a needle. That's the point. Um, he says, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Whew, good. You kind of see their shoulders come down. And the next thing they say is exactly what I would have said. Okay, God, I, we saw that rich young ruler walk away because he wouldn't give up anything. Remember us, though, we gave up everything to follow you. What do we get? Right? That's basically what they ask. And what Jesus does is he gives them a little bit of a picture of the new world, the new heaven, the new earth when he comes again. And in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 28 of Matthew 19, Jesus says, when I come again and into the new world. Some translations say new hope. The King James says into the regeneration. Right? It's that same word, palinginasia. Here's why I want you to see that. In the way that Jesus says, when I come again, I am going to make all things new. Heaven, earth, new Jerusalem. That moment in Revelation 21 when he says, behold, I am making all things new. That regeneration, exact same regeneration on the cosmic level that Jesus says I'm going to do is what he wants to do in the human heart. He wants to regenerate us cause us to be born again. The point is this, the work of Jesus in our life when we are saved is so radical. It's so powerful that it produces a new life. It can only be described as a new life. We're born into a completely new person. Has that happened in your life? Please get the idea of a scale out of your head. Please get the idea of behavior change out of your mind. And say, if I've never been made new, then I'm hopeless. I don't, I don't have any hope other than to try to keep doing better. And that's ultimately not going to be enough. Paul says, when we come to faith, when we're born again, there is a washing of regeneration there's a regenesis. There's a new birth. New birth. Jesus didn't come to make bad people better. He came to make dead people alive. Amen. Here's the next thing I want you to see. When we're born again, not only are we given a new life, we're given a new nature. We're given a new nature. Right? So yes, we're given this new life, but we're given a new nature. So Paul says, we, he saved us by his goodness by the washing of regeneration and renewal 
of the Holy Spirit. What is this renewal of the Holy Spirit? What is that? The renewal of the Holy Spirit is how we get a new nature. So not only do we have a new life in Christ, that new life comes with a new nature, and that new nature has new tendencies. It has new desires. It has new passions. It has a whole different way of thinking. So suddenly, we're thinking thoughts we would have never thought before. We want to do things we've never desired before. We're desiring things of God that we've never desired before. And suddenly, things we rejected, we embrace. Things we never thought Now we do. And being born into this new nature, having this new nature by the Holy Spirit, being born into this new nature, listen, that puts us on the journey called sanctification. Puts us on the journey of sanctification. That's just a real churchy word that only means this, becoming like Jesus. That's all it means. None of us are there, by the way. No one gets saved and is walking in perfection like Christ. Everybody in this room is a work in progress. And all God's people said, we're all a work in progress. We're like children learning how to walk. That's what we are. But we get a new life. And we get a new nature with new desires. And it's the new life and the new nature that is the evidence that we belong to God. What does this look like? There's a beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. This is God speaking. Here's what he says in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Four times in that verse, he references being clean. What is that? That's the washing of regeneration, right? That's the cleansing work of Jesus. That's his blood that washes away our sins. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart, a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What's the heart of stone? That's the idea of the dead heart. Heart unto the things of God, dead to the things of God. What's the heart of flesh? That's the new heart. Alive to God. How does this happen? Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says, I'll put my spirit within you and then I'm going to cause you to walk in a new way. I'm going to cause you to know how to. You can't make yourself walk in a way that pleases God. We don't have the power. We need the new heart and we need his spirit within us. And then he causes that to happen. That's what being born again does. We're given this new heart and new desires and a new nature. Now there's something inside of us that wants to please God. And listen, this newness is the evidence of salvation. When it comes to the assurance that we want of our relationship with God, that's how we know. That's how we know. So many of us examine our relationship with God based on something we did as a child. And it may very well be what you did as a child was the moment. But the evidence is, is there an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life? Am I being transformed 
Do I see that the Holy Spirit is working in me? How do I know if I've been born again? The answer is whether or not the Holy Spirit is making me more like Christ. And do I know that I've been made alive? I I remember when I was dead. And I've been made alive. Have you been born again? Romans tells us that if we've been born again, we have the Spirit. And if we don't have the Spirit, we have not been born again. We do not belong to God. It's very simple. Have you been born again? So let's just... Just bow our heads for a moment. Boy, I've asked you several times through the morning. Have you been made new? Have you been born again? I'm asking you again. And I am pleading with you not to measure your relationship with God by how good of a person you are. I'm even pleading with you not to measure it on an aisle that you walked when you were little. I'm asking you, have you been, are you a new person with new desires, with a new life? Some of you are laboring with all that you have to be good and to put enough good on the scale that it tips in your favor. And that's the hope that you have. And that is no hope at all. And if you're kind of tired of that, if you're tired of not knowing how good is good enough, you need Jesus today. And if that's you and you're in that place, I just want to invite you to pray with me for a moment. It'll be a very simple prayer. The prayer can be something as simple as, I'm trying to be good, Lord, but I know I can't be good enough anymore. And I'm actually tired of not knowing where I stand with you. I'm tired of not knowing if I'm saved. I'm tired of always questioning this. I'm tired of living in doubt and being in fear that I haven't been good enough. I'm tired of it. I just want to know I belong to you. So Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I receive the forgiveness of my sins that you give. And I just want to belong to you and be yours. Nobody's looking around. Listen, if that's you this morning, if you said, that's me. I'm I'm getting right with God today. I just prayed that prayer with you, Matt. And I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Would you do something really courageous and really important? Would you just stand up right where you are and look at me? I just want to ask you. I just want to talk to you for a moment. Today I made Jesus Lord. Today, I'm I'm done wondering where I stand with God. I want to know that I'm His. Just stand up right where you are and look at me for a moment. I want the new heart. I want the new life. I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to experience on a personal level that Jesus really is better. If that's you this morning, stand up right where you are and look at me. At a girl, thank you. Who else? Who else? I want to know today that Jesus is better. 
I'm so tired of doing this. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm so proud of you. The Bible says that in standing and saying, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life, you are born again. You get to be made new. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get somebody to connect with you and just visit about that for a second, okay? All right. Now I want to ask this. We're about to stand. We're going to start singing. We're going to respond in some of you this morning, <laughs> I already feel it in my spirit. Some of you did pray that prayer and you had no idea how to get up on your feet because you're just scared to stand up. So we're going to make it easier on all of us, right? We're all going to stand up. And we're going to have our ministers and pastors standing down here at the front. And if you need to come give Jesus your life, just step out. Come take one of us by the hand. If as we've gone along, you realized, oh my gosh, I prayed a prayer at this age but my life changed two years ago. My life actually changed six months ago. You just come tell us, you need to be baptized today. Some of you have known it, you've been putting it off. Let's, let's do what Jesus demanded and deserves. Let's be baptized today. And it may be that you have someone on your heart and you know they're lost and you know they need to be made new in Christ. It might just be that you just come to this altar and just pray that God would save. Lord, I pray you would be pleased with what happens in this room. Help us be obedient to you in Jesus' name.